Cool. Thanks, Aaron. Actually, the reason it's VBS is because it's easier to text. It's harder to text vacation Bible school. So you're like, just went to VBS, OMG, I was totally ROTFL. There, there you go. Okay, that's... <clears throat> All right. Matthew chapter 9. That's where we are right now. We've been following Jesus after the Sermon on the Mount to see how he lives out what he just preached. Does Jesus practice what he preaches? The answer is yes. Sometimes it looks a lot like what we think it should look like. Other times it doesn't look anything at all like we think it should look like. But it's still an example to us on how we're to live. So let's go ahead and read this. Basically what's happened is Jesus has just uh, healed the demon-possessed guy and thrown all the demons into some pigs, uh, which subsequently uh, killed themselves. Matthew 9, verse 1. Jesus stepped into a boat, crossed over, and came to his own town. Some men brought to him a paralytic lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. At this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, This fellow is blaspheming. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, Why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or get up and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins... Then he said, yeah, I love that, dot, dot, dot. Yeah, I love that. It's NIV. Uh, Then he said to the paralytic, get up, take your mat and go home. And the man got up and went home. When the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe and they praised God who had given such authority to men. So Matthew doesn't put in a whole lot of facts that happened at this time that are really important facts unless you're Matthew. Because what Matthew's trying to show, remember, he's a Jew writing to Jews about a Jew being the Messiah. So Matthew doesn't get involved in the, how the, the uh, paralytic, the paralyzed guy got there, how he got to see Jesus. Because he, the, the key thing for Matthew is Jesus has not only the power to heal, but the power to forgive sins, which is a criteria of the Messiah. So he didn't get all into like, well, yeah, they lowered him through the roof, but I don't have time for that. Let Mark and Luke take care of that. They're into that kind of stuff is kind of what he was saying. Actually, it's just the way the Holy Spirit inspired him to write. But that's what happens in in Matthew. It doesn't say, but this is several days, a few days after that Jesus healed the demon possessed guy. Now, you can imagine what's happening. Okay, we've seen him heal the leper. We see we've seen him heal the centurion's servant. We've seen him heal um, Peter's mother in law. Then he goes with the disciples to this um, area of the Gerasenes. And a crazy naked guy comes And he's all freaked out. And Jesus sends the demons into the pigs and they all die. So when they come back, there's a few days. You can imagine what those days look like. As the disciples are trying to describe to everybody in the town what they missed. I mean, because who's do you have anything else to talk about if you see something like that? I mean, have you ever had something happen and people say, how are you doing? Oh, you'll never guess what happened. Okay, you know when you take the boat and you're going over to that one place and they got all the pigs up on the cliffs? You know, remember? And that crazy naked guy comes out. Eh, and you, everybody freaks out and makes fun of him. Okay, we went over there. That's what they're doing right now. And they're saying, and then he came up and I was going to deck him, but Jesus stood up in front and was like, started talking to the guy and he was all like, eh, and it was crazy. 
right? They're going into this whole thing. And then, and then remember how we but know that we've always judged them for having pigs. You're not supposed to have pigs. Well, guess what? Jesus killed all the pigs. No way. I swear. They all jumped over the cliff. It was awesome. So it's starting to really heat up. And Jesus is in his own town, Capernaum. That's where we are right now. And so as you begin to look at Matthew, Mark, and Luke, I don't know why John doesn't have this. It's like John's been missing for the last, like, several stories. I don't know what his deal is, uh, but he didn't write about it. How do you not write about a demon-possessed guy in the pigs? But, again, he wasn't inspired to do so, so there we are. But that's where we are. And essentially what's happened is Jesus is now in this house, it says, preaching the word. And there's so many people that they can't get in to see it. And we're going to see what this setup really looks like. It, looks, it might look a little different than uh, how you've seen it in the past. But basically, it's crowded, very, very crowded. And we're going to look at three types of people. It's not all the types of people that were there, but three types of people and how Jesus affected each one. And we're going to see how we don't really fall into any one of these categories. Maybe we do more, more than the other. But if we examine our lives and we take inventory, we'll see that we're like each one of them in some way, in some area of our life. We're going to be like each one of these people. And so we're going to look at how Jesus dealt with these people and uh, how that might uh, look in our own lives. The first is the paralyzed. The paralyzed. This guy is a paralytic. Now, you have to understand again at this time, it's not like it is now. This was not only a physical problem. It was a social stigma because the people of that time believed that if you were paralyzed or blind or lame or whatever, that God was judging you. And to be honest, you can kind of see where they got that from, because when you read the Old Testament, you'll see sometimes God will deal with a person and go, and guess what? In your household, there'll always be this issue, right? So if you're reading the Old Testament and you're the Pharisees and you're really into the Lord being like this type of God, then when you see a paralyzed guy, you'll go, oh, yeah, it's probably something he did or his parents did. So you have this guy that's not only the uh, uh, physically has all these issues. You can imagine the emotional and spiritual issues, the baggage that this guy has. A lot like our own lives. A lot of times, the circumstance being paralyzed, you think, wow, that's the big deal. When in reality, it goes so much deeper than that. You know what I mean? It's like losing your job might be the bad thing, but there's other stuff that happened that go way deeper than just losing a job. Going through marital issues. That's a problem, but then it goes so much deeper than that. You see what I'm saying? That's where we are with this paralyzed guy. So the first thing we want to see as we look at kind of paralysis in our own lives, and we'll explain that a little later, is that the paralyzed must risk to be healed. The paralyzed must risk to be healed. This guy is totally exposed. What, so what's happened is there's this crowded uh, area. We don't know how tall the house was. Some people say it was three. I don't know how you can figure all that out. But in any event, it had a roof <laughs> and Jesus was in the room right under the roof. And there are people trying to get in from all around. So this paralyzed guy has four friends 
carry him up. Now, we don't know whether it was their idea or his idea. Any way you look at it, it took a lot of risk. They went up on the roof and they judged it just right. One of those guys was really smart. If it were me, there'd be like seven holes in the roof where I'm like, ah, no, I missed it. You know, like how I go to Home Depot eight times just to like change one little thing in my house. They get it right. They get this hole and they lower this guy right down in front of Jesus. So imagine if this place is just packed with people standing room only and I'm here talking to you and all of a sudden pieces of stuff start falling all around me. And we look up and I get out of the way and all of a sudden somebody lowers someone down. What's everyone thinking? I know what I'm thinking. Oh, dude, that's expensive. <laughs> that, that's going to come back to bite us, I'm sure, right? So you can imagine how disruptive that is. And here's this guy in front of all these people totally exposed. If we want to get rid of the paralysis in our lives, the things that are holding us back, there's going to come a time when we're going to have to be totally exposed. And isn't that what keeps us from change a lot of times? Like if you have a problem in your life, a thing you're dealing with, it can get healed. If we get into accountability, if we go to somebody and say, I need help, but it's that being exposed, that's the problem. And so it takes a lot of risk. And so this guy, whether on his own or by these guys, had this big risk taken, another risk, a hole in the ceiling. And what does Jesus say? He says, take courage. Now, what this means in the Greek, this phrase, oops, sorry, my nose itched. What this means in the Greek, this phrase is not just, hey, buck up. God said that to people before, too, like, uh, Hey, stand up, you know, why are you on? Why are you groveling on your face? Right. He said that to some different people. But this take courage is not just deal with it. This is you have nothing to fear. Oh, I praise God that that's his response. When I come to him with the paralysis in my own life, maybe there's something that has cut. You know, when you get paralyzed, it, it cuts off the nerve. So you have no sensitivity. So you've gone through, we talked about this last week, we've gone through pain in relationships. So you just, you were designed to be in relationship, but now that part of, of your design doesn't work anymore. Or we've been designed to walk in peace, but for some reason that doesn't, that doesn't work anymore. There's no, the, the messages aren't getting from God down into our lives to actually function. And so that's where he is. And he says, you know what? You've got nothing to fear. It's awesome. He's totally exposed in the view of everyone knowing he's being judged. That's a risk, isn't it? Isn't that a risk when you think, man, if I tell somebody this, they're going to judge me. It's a real risk, but it's worth it. Was he judged? Yeah, you better believe he was judged. We're going to get to what that room looked like, but it was mostly Pharisees in that room. He was being judged. So what happens? Jesus says, you have nothing to fear. Your sins are forgiven. Hey, thanks, Jesus. I just happened to be paralyzed, though. Don't know if you noticed. I wasn't lowered down here because I like to be carried everywhere, which. Anyway. <laughs> 
He says, your sins are forgiven. Now here, this is vitally, vitally important as we look at the two kingdoms. God is more interested in spiritual healing than he is physical healing. You say, well, of course, but let's internalize that. Let's look at what that looks like in our own lives, okay? Because we say, well, yeah, that makes sense. But that means if we were to apply it to ourselves, God's more interested on how we deal with the loss of a job than finding us a new job. Well, that's no good. God's more interested in us dealing with being at school without any friends than he is without just supplying us a whole bunch of friends. He's more interested in how we're going to deal with the pain of, of, of financial issues than just, okay, here we go, erase, erase. Okay? So it's a big statement. Watch what he says in, in, in Matthew chapter, uh, Matthew chapter nine, verse 12. We're going to get to a part where Jesus is with a bunch of sinners. And after the smackdown, Jesus gives the Pharisees in this story. Uh, they come back at him again, saying, why are you hanging around with a bunch of sinners? And here's what Jesus says to them. He says on hearing this, he says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy which is a total kingdom thing here, then sacrifice. What, what happens down here, what you do to try and make it all look good doesn't concern me. I want mercy. I want the things that are up here. And so when that paralytic comes down, and he's paralyzed and he needs to be healed. Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. I want us to understand that was the miracle. Okay. We don't think so because it's all down here for us. But the miracle is when he said that there were literally angels in heaven rejoicing at that time. There was a miracle in heaven. A soul got saved. You See that down here. They're just going to what's your problem? He's blaspheming. It's what happens up here that's most important. And so a lot of us may not be paralyzed From the waist down or neck down, we don't know what was up with this guy, but we're paralyzed emotionally. We're paralyzed spiritually. The enemy has just given us shame after shame after shame. God cannot heal you. And God is screaming to you, there's nothing to be afraid of. But we have to deal with this sin. What happens on this earth, while important, and we bring, it says, make all our requests known to God. Ultimately, God is concerned with what, where you are spiritually. Paul says it this way when he's writing in Romans. He says, that's why I don't think there's any comparison between present hard times and the coming good times. Paul was one of those guys who lived his life totally in the right kingdom. And he says, yeah, I'm going through a bunch of garbage here. But really, I don't really think there's anything that could happen here that's compared to what's coming in this kingdom. Another point, the needy will always disrupt the comfortable. If church becomes comfortable for us, if we're a nice little church or whatever, it's the most dangerous place to be. Because what ends up happening is we come with certain expectations and when they're not met, we become like the Pharisee. We become bitter and like, wait a minute, what's what's going on here? But this is what's always going to happen. The needy will always disrupt the comfortable. He interrupted their. Jesus was preaching a sermon. And they interrupted it. You're not supposed to do that. That's wrong. Okay. 
No, I'm telling you guys, that's wrong. When I'm preaching a sermon, no interruptions, right? But what happened? Some ministry opportunity took precedent over that. He was preaching the word. And, and as you mature, and as I mature, we're going to see this in our lives time and time again. I was at a, a basketball game last night. Jesse's my son, Jesse. He's eight. He's in basketball. And I love going to his games. They're incredibly relaxing to me because it's a bunch of little kids. None of, none of them are uh, any good. Okay. You, you'll have one kid who's you can tell their parents think he's going to, you know, that this is their ticket through college or whatever. Um, but, but. They're not very good. So I love just kicking back and watching them run. You know, the score ends up being like 15 to 8. And it's by twos, okay? So the whole time, it's just basically kind of running back and forth. And so I was really enjoying the game before Jesse's game as well. Because it's just the kids are so cute. And so this one kid gets the ball, little tiny kid. And he gets it and he just heaves it up as high as he can. And it just ding, 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 ding. And it's just, everyone's just like, oh, I, I don't even know this kid. And I'm just going, come on, come on. It's like I had 300 bucks on the game or something. I'm like, this is it. Mama needs it. Come on, let's go. So it goes through and everyone just erupts. It's just like, oh man. And the kid's running down the court like he just, he made it. It was sick. That made it six to 15 at that time. Yeah, whatever. Right. So I'm sitting there and it's just awesome. And there's this lady that's not because she's a lady because there's men who do it, too. But there is this lady who had a totally different idea of what was going on. And she's screaming at her son. Aaron. It wasn't Becky Mills. OK, I just want to. Okay. Just because her son's name is Aaron. It, well, I'm not trying to do this to you. Okay, so she's screaming, Aaron, pass it, get it. You know, the ball will be on the other side of the court, nowhere near him. Get the ball! <laughs> so he finally gets the ball. Poor Aaron. God bless him. He gets the ball and he just wings it at the, at the uh, backboard. And it just doesn't even come close. So he, you know, because you can imagine trying to perform with someone just like screaming in your ear the whole time. So he totally misses. And she goes, Aaron. And he's like looking at her. The basket's that way, you know. And I'm just like, oh, bring it, lady. Let's do it right now. Right now. Yeah. I'm just like, Aaron, your mom's a freak, okay? Don't worry about it. I got your back, buddy. It was a good shot. Just, oh. It just, you know what I mean? Well, what was happening there? What was happening there was I understood exactly how you're to act at all times. That's where I was going. I understand you don't. You don't do that. Okay, you don't yell out like that. It's all encouraging. Now, take me with all my pride and plant me in a different situation. Maybe a soccer game. No, Hawk, I'm fine in hockey. Settle down. This sermon is not about me. Okay. 
I already dealt with my stuff this week. Now it's your turn. Okay. No, I'm kidding around. Right? What's happening there? This needy person. So I, the Lord began to talk to me. I, honestly, I'm getting to a spiritual part of the story. And I began to see she has not, she's, need, she's paralyzed. She's paralyzed. All the spiritual neurons that would fire on her going, you know what? Settle down. It's okay. You know what? We need, there are other issues. They're blocked. For some reason, some, some, something about her life, something about, you know, I don't look at the paralyzed person and go, get up. What's your problem? She, she was interrupting my comfort. Why? Because she was needy. That's it. That's it. It wasn't, be, you know, you can look at the naked guy, the demon possessed naked guy. And, you know, Jesus could have been like, dude, get some, oh, get some clothes on. But he had to deal with the spiritual issue first. And then what does it say? He was dressed and in his right mind and was sitting at the feet of Jesus. See what I'm saying? Needy people are always going to disrupt us. What we have to do as mature Christians is go, you know what? Oh, they're paralyzed. That's what it is. I can't expect her to run like that. She's paralyzed. So how do we get the spirit of God into our life? See that? This verse just shows that he was preaching the word to them. It doesn't. But so here we go. The big idea. It's back. The big idea. For those of you who are new, about a year and a half ago, I used to do this all the time. The big idea. I just felt like doing it. I won't do it next week. But with Jesus, the paralyzed are restored. So as we look at this one section of person, this this paralyzed, and we look at our own lives and we say, man, the scriptures say I should love. Why don't I love? Well, it's going to take some risk, but ultimately it's going to be Christ that restores that part of our life. Man, the, the scriptures say I should be anxious for nothing, but I am so torn up inside. Well, it's going to take some risk, but ultimately Jesus is going to restore that. And you're going to have what? Peace that passes all comprehension. It does not make any sense at all. See what I'm saying? That's how you were designed. Did you know that? You were designed to operate. We, we were created in the image of God. So we were designed to operate, to run free in Christ. We're talking about lift my hands and spin around into marvelous light. I'm running, running to Christ. One thing I do, I forget what lies behind and I press on. I run to what lies ahead. That's how we were designed to have lives of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. What happens? Why don't we have that? There's some paralysis somewhere and it's going to be Jesus that ultimately restores us, but it's going to take some risk. So the second person we see here is the stretcher bearer, the stretcher bearer. And we might not make it through this sermon because we're going to talk a little bit about stretcher bearers. And when I was going over this sermon, it was going kind of long. So I don't want to rush through the stretcher bearers. The thing we see about stretcher bearers is they're close to the pain. We've talked about this before. If you want to see miracles of God, if you want to see God do great things, you have to be in really bad situations, right? Because if I'm, if I'm just sitting in Beverly Hills, driving my car around, nothing's going bad, nothing's happening, I'm around people, it's until I realize how jacked up all those people can be and get into their lives and it gets messy and you find out, oh my goodness, this person's got this. That's when you begin to see God doing great things. When the situation's real bad. Now think of these guys. This situation is real bad. Now I, I want us to kind of get into the culture of what's happening here. 
You have a guy, he's paralyzed. There is no chance of him getting healed that they've ever seen come along. They have no, the doctors don't heal paralyzed. I mean, there's no chance. So they got this guy and they hear about Jesus. They hear Peter and those guys talking about the naked demon possessed guy. They hear about the leper. They're like, this is our shot. And so they, they pick him up and they got him. And they have to listen to him the whole time. They're on their way to Jesus. However, he's talking. So you can imagine what he's going through. Do you think, do you think Jesus can really do it? And they're just like, oh man, God, please, please. Yeah, I think he can. I, you know what? I, I've heard he's done great things. And the, the emotion that these guys have, they see their buddy. He's paralyzed. They've, I don't know how long he'd been paralyzed, but obviously they care about him. And so that whole trip, maybe he's going, don't, don't forget it. You know what? I don't want to be disappointed anymore. Forget about it. I don't want to go. And they're going, we're taking you all the while going, oh man, I hope this works. Then they get there and it's just packed. Now, I don't know what's going on in their minds, but for me, have you ever had that? You, 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 you kind of set up for something spiritually. And then when you get there, it's not quite what you'd expected. And you think, oh, no, you ever done that? when I was going to church, sometimes uh, I'd invite somebody and then there'd be like a juggler at church instead of the pastor or something. And you're going, oh, no, you know, or what? There was never a juggler, but I'm just about <laughs> You know my point, right? Or you think, oh, good, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk to this guy. And you talk to him and then someone else comes up. It's like the opportunity and they come up and they ruin it. And you're like, oh, that's what, that's what they were going through. And so they're close to all this emotional pain. We saw it with Lazarus. Roll away the stone. It's going to stink. Yeah, but when they roll away the stone, they see that dude walking towards them. That, that's going to rock your world. And so with stretcher bearers, what we have to understand is if we want to see God move, we're going to have to be in messy situations. That's just the way it goes. The paralytic would have never made it to Jesus without those guys, without those stretcher bearers. And every single one of us is called to be a stretcher bearer. Every single one of us. Now, some of us are paralyzed ourselves, and so it's not time to be a stretcher bearer. We've got to deal with the paralysis. Or we're sick. We just can't do it. And it's time to get healthy. That's why you don't have surgeons... They don't have staph infections while they're doing surgery. They wait until they're all, they get the gloves on, they do the washing, they're all clean, and then they can do, perform surgery. So stretcher bearers are close to the pain. Stretcher bearers will risk to get people to Jesus. Not only is there risk for the paralytic, there's risk for the stretcher bearer. And I started doing some, um, I, I did a little study on stretcher bearers in World War I and World War II. And these guys were unbelievable what they would go through in order just to save a dying man. And and as I began to read, it, I'm like, oh, that's just like we're called to do. Oh, that's that's just like us. Oh, look at that. That's just like us. It's amazing when you begin to read about these guys, what what a stretcher bearer in the army would do. Sometimes they were a non they, they, they'd go in as a noncombatant. They, they'd say, look, I, I, don't, I can't. My morals say I can't shoot anybody, but I will help as best I can. So that was a lot. Sometimes they were chaplains. 
Sometimes they were just, they, that was just what they got assigned to do. And so they'd go in, they were completely unarmed, and they had a little uh, armband that either said SB for stretcher bearer or a red cross. And so there'd be all this fighting going on, and then there'd be this, what they called no man's land, and they'd run out and listen for the cries of people. And they'd look, and they'd see, and they'd go, and they'd go, okay, that guy's dead, that guy's dead, this guy, I think we can save him. And then they'd either put him on his back, depending on, or there'd be sometimes two or four of them, depending on if it was real muddy, they'd need to get four guys in order to carry this guy. And I was thinking, this is, this is Christianity. <laughs> if it's real muddy, if, there's, if it's just a real bad situation, and, 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 and it's going to take more than one person. I mean, it's going to take a community, a full community to bring restoration to this guy's life. If, if it's not, if, it's, if the footing's okay, you can throw them on your back and hightail it into, into community. See what I'm saying? It's amazing. But they'd always risk their very lives. Because the rules of war where you don't shoot at stretcher bearers. Okay. I, I don't know if they get a rule book that they go through or whatever. But a lot of these guys died. And so these guys were going right into the thick of battle. They were going right to, it says, the Pharisees came from Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem. The Pharisees and teachers of the law. Think of that whole area. They says they came in and were sitting there. And so these guys are right, essentially, with the enemy, if you will. And they lower this guy down, taking great risk. So what would happen is, you're in the war, you'd get kind of a little kit that if you got shot or got your leg blown off, this kit would somehow, you'd, you'd do the best you could until the stretcher bearer came. Is that not our lives? We have a certain tool set that we've developed maybe through the way we were raised or whatever. And a tragedy happens. And we do the best we can to cinch it up until somebody comes and gets us. And I would suggest to you that you are surrounded by people who are like, they don't, you can't tell. (laughs) They look great, but they're lying there with their guts hanging out and they're doing whatever they can to stitch themselves up, trying to put a tourniquet on, trying everything they can through medication, through alcohol, through spending habits through friends through partying through whatever they can to stop the bleeding until somebody comes and takes them back because what the stretcher bearer would do would take them back they get cleaned up and then a surgeon would come and do what needed to be done that surgeon is jesus christ and so as stretcher bearers what we're called to do is to go out into our world and listen for the cries and sometimes they're very faint Sometimes it's just somebody making a passing statement. Oh, I wish my life were like that. That's that's a cry. Okay? Or they say, how's your day going? Well, as good as it can. That's a cry. And so our our ears, because you think about a war and stretcher bears. Again, I'm not trying to overemphasize this thing, but I was just rocked by how well this works. It's in the middle of a war, so there's all this noise happening. And you've got to train your ears with the bombs and the bullets and all this kind of stuff. You have to train your ears to go, okay, that was the scream of a 
incoming mortar shell. That was the scream of a person. And you got to look. Same with our lives. We just have all this influence and all this stuff and Internet and TV and friends and stuff at work, all this noise. And yet we are supposed to be trained to go. I hear that cry. I'm going to go help that person. A lot of risk, a lot of risk to be a stretcher bearer. I want to show you one dude, Captain Noel Godfrey. I don't know how to say that last name. Chavez or Chavez or Chavez is what I like to say. Uh, that's, uh, that's this guy. He is one of three people in the world who's ever won two Victoria Crosses, which in, uh, in uh, Great Britain is the highest honor you can get. I want to read you about this guy. And as I'm reading and as I've explained what a stretcher bear is, I want you to listen uh, uh, for some clues that might clue us in on how we're to act in the world around us when we leave this place on Sunday. It says, despite being hit by shrapnel twice, you know, some of us are going, yeah, I've been hit by shrapnel before. Noel tended, or Noel, I'm going to call him Noel because Noel is... I think that's a girl's name. And he was all man. So here we go. Noel tended to the injured, often in full view of the enemy. When night fell, he ventured out into no man's land to help the wounded, locating them by their cries. The next day, along with the other stretcher bearer, he returned to the battlefield to rescue a fallen soldier. Even after being hit by shrapnel, he carried the man 500 yards to safety before returning to help others. His amazing bravery didn't end there. That night, he went back to rescue three wounded men who had been sheltering in a shell crater just 25 yards from an enemy trench. Okay, that's about from me to four ro- Let me see. Hold on. A little pitching wedge. Yeah, that would be about from me to uh, maybe five rows back there. Listen to this. Satisfied there were no more wounded to save, he buried the bodies of two officers and collected dozens of identity discs from the fallen so their loved ones would know their fate. His headstone, which is one of the only headstones in the world that has two Victoria crosses, has this inscription. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. It's a picture of Jesus. As I was reading that, I was like, what a coward I am. I mean, this guy was just going for it to save these guys. And I get all nervous. I don't know if I should mention anything about Jesus. Oh, what if they get upset? I don't want to judge anybody. What if? That's not how a stretcher bearer thinks. One general said this, if I had a hundred Victoria crosses to distribute, every one of them should go to the stretcher bearers. Here's a picture of what it might look like in those wars. That's no man's land. You got to get through all that stuff and find somebody who needs help. That is a picture of us, guys. For some people, that's what their life looks like to them. And our job is to take all the knowledge we have in Christ, everything we've learned, all all of our experience. Maybe we've been hit by shrapnel ourselves and we're wounded, but we go out to get the lost. That's our job. Because ultimately it comes down to this. Stretcher bearers believe Jesus can heal. You don't grab a paralyzed guy, march him down the street, 
all the way to a house, get there, it's totally crowded, and then you start ripping a hole in the roof unless you really, really believe that Jesus is going to do something. So I have to ask myself this question. Do I really believe that Jesus can heal? Because if I really believe it, my actions are going to show it as I deal with the wounded, are they not? If, 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 if I really believe that Jesus is going to do something, then you're going to see in my actions, that dude's nuts. What's he doing? I got to get him to Jesus. I got to get him to Jesus. Jesus is going to heal him. Jesus is going to solve this problem. You see what I'm saying? You there? Okay, cool. Stretcher bearers believe that Jesus can heal. And what happens when they heal? Look at Luke twenty-two thirty-two. Essentially, Satan has just said to Jesus while they're standing there. Again, I don't know all the, I don't know the particulars of how this goes down. But essentially, Satan says to Jesus, I'm going to sift Peter like wheat. And Jesus goes, oh, that's cool, Satan. Hey, Peter, guess what? Satan just said he wanted to sift you like wheat. He wants to jack your life up. He wants shrapnel all over you. He wants to wound you. He wants to get you. And then Jesus says this. But I've prayed for you, Simon. That your faith may not fail. You're not going to die from this. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. That's the heart of a stretcher bearer. The reason you get better is so that you can help your brother. Uh, Paul says it like this. Carry each other's burdens and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Listen. If you're paralyzed... Get help. You cannot do it on your own. If there's been some thing in your life that's been holding you back, you're just not, I got this problem. You've got to get help. It's a risk. If you're sick, if you, you you know, okay, I'm starting to get, get, you know, better. If I, I just, I just need some more help. Then get strong. Allow yourself to be healed. But if you're strong, Carry a stretcher. Figure out what the cries in your life are. It might be your kids. It might be your wife or your husband. It might be a neighbor. But listen for those cries. Don't get caught up in the noise. Here's the big idea. With Jesus, stretcher bearers are rewarded. I mean, think about it. That's a big gamble. That they took. And when he. I don't know what they were thinking when he said your sins are forgiven. If they're like. Cool. Because they tied. Remember they tied that all together. But when that guy got up and walked. Those guys. Those four dudes. I mean what brings four guys or four ladies closer together than to see lives change. I see it in this church all the time. When we see someone come to Christ or you see a neighbor uh, or, or you see someone who's been in an addiction and the people who've been around that person, seeing them restored. Oh, there's nothing like it. I hear all the stories. When you're so excited about what God has done, that's the reward that happens in this kingdom. Lastly, the religious. I won't spend too much too, too much time on this. The religious. One day as he was teaching, now we're going to see what really was going on here. Pharisees and teachers of the law who had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem 
were sitting there. How did they get in? They're you think of all the Pharisees and the teachers of the law from all those areas. That's a lot of people. I doubt all of them got there early. See what I'm saying? They, didn't, they were all weren't just like, hey, you know, oh, great, it's going to be at this place. No. It's, hey, oh, sorry, Rabbi. Here, go ahead. Go ahead. Until all the people who really need Jesus are outside and all the Pharisees the teachers of the law, the people who know it all, are inside. That is a dangerous place to be. I, I praise God for this church. I really do. Because you know what? I, I love our heart. As I look out over all my friends, I think about, I think everybody here. If I said, hey, there's 200 people outside, they got to get in. Out you'd go. First of all, it's because you get bored by the sermon. But the second thing is, you'd give up your seat. I love that. But this is where they were. And the only reason I bring this up is because, like I said, we're maybe not all like that, but there's little parts of us that are kind of like that. If I look at my own life, I might, of course I'd get up and give my seat. Oh, that's great, John. But would you do this? What if... In order to reach the community, you had to paint the church pink. Oh, heck no, I'm not doing that. I don't paint the church pink. You see what I'm saying? So there's, there's all, what happens in our lives is maybe not the full-blown Pharisee. Ah, we're all a bunch of religious people who just stop everyone from coming in. That's not us. But there are little parts of our lives, at least there is in my life, where, again, the Lord is going, hey, simmer down. Let them sit there. Let them do that. Yeah, but I was here first or I'm, you don't know who I am. Yeah, I don't care who you are. See what I'm saying? I got this. Yeah. All right. Here's the thing. The religious are comfortable. They weren't peering in through the window. They weren't trying to, they're sitting there. They're fine. They're doing great. When I find myself comfortable, I need to begin to go, hmm, what's going on? Am I, am I doing? Now, maybe because the Lord's done this in my life and I've seen it. You're just in a period of rest, of being restored, you know. And it's just a time to sit and to, and to be nourished until you get strong like we were talking about. But if you've been nourished and you've been strong and you're still sitting, there's something wrong. Oh, if you've been nourished and you've been strong and you're still sitting, there's something wrong. I like that. It rhymed. I wasn't expecting that. Put it in a song. Kevin, go, go for it. Right? <laughs> the religious are comfortable. Look at what, Luke, what Jesus says to the Pharisees in Luke. You experts in the law, woe to you, because you load people down with burdens they can hardly handle, and you yourselves will not lift a finger to help them. Now picture this. On the inside, you've got a whole bunch of religious people who've probably bullied their way in, or just out of respect, People have given their seats to them because they're important. And you got these four maverick guys tearing a hole in the roof. Those, those guys, they'd never do anything to help the guys on the roof or the paralyzed guy. He was in sin. We're going we're gonna to close it off right here uh, for now and we'll pick it up next week.
But you can kind of begin to get a sense for these three people that are here. The reason we're going to stop is we're out of time, but also we're going to see how these Pharisees begin to act in the next few verses as a, as a warning to us in different parts of our lives. We are in love. We are in love.